Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 58 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by Tabbies.com, the best updated edible on the market. The Big Ten tournament is officially here, Casey, and the Buckeyes have killed my will to live. How are you doing tonight? Wally, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, man. You know, the the Monday after the big game, I'm feeling pretty pretty darn good myself. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this tournament this week. Um, unfortunately, some of these start times are, are pretty darn early, and I'm not going to be able to watch some of them because I'll be at work. Um, so I'll, I'm sure I'll find a creative way to, to make sure I'm following along. That was kind of what I noticed, too, is because – I don't know. It's not like the high school days anymore where we would just put our entire life into these tournaments. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, can you guys just hold up until I get home later tonight? But, I mean, even in some of these games where, like, like yours, the Indiana-Michigan game, that's the early game in the day. You're going to be at school teaching. I at least get lucky, and Hayden will, too. The Buckeyes are the nightcap, so we get to be sad right before bed. That's a little weird. I don't know. But, uh... What else is going on, I guess, in your world outside of the wonders of March right now? Nothing, man. I uh, was, was able to go home this weekend and see little SJ and see my other nieces and nephews, uh, or my nephews, I guess, and my sisters and my mom, dad, stepmom. So it was really a good weekend. My mom and I went to the uh, casino. I did not do very well at the casino, but we don't we don't talk about that. Although when I was at Hayden's house before, I was like, man, that Purdue line of minus 10 and a half over Indiana, do not, that, that is huge. Take Indiana plus 10 and a half, plus 10 and a half. And he's like, dude, no way. Purdue's going to come out and beat them bad. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but you know, Indiana made that a nail biter. So overall it was a really good weekend. Lauren, Lauren's sick. Now she came down with some little stomach bugs. I've been trying, I've been trying to take care of her running around at Kroger and CVS finding Pedialyte and Pedialyte popsicles and <laughs> Gatorades and all this stuff. But yeah, man, overall doing pretty good. How are you? You know, I haven't got the chance to meet SJ yet, but with 12 days from now, Sam Wagner, a buddy of ours, getting married, I'm going to be up in Northwest Ohio. So I'm really hoping I can kind of finagle away because even though I'm not blood uncle, I'm taking it as I'm an uncle, whether they want me to or not. So I already got the little the little SJ. I got her a little socks, little Ohio State socks. So I got to try to slowly, like, you know, infiltrate. You can't come out too fast. You throw a jersey at it, people are going to be coming land, air, and sea. You got to go slow with it. But outside of that, a couple things, too. Speaking of the casino, as bad as you did today or that other day, nobody could do worse in a gambling sense than Calvin Ridley. I mean, dude. I understand he was betting on his own team, but when the NFL is making it such an obvious point to get gambling into the sport, and especially, what, a month removed from the Miami Dolphins owner supposedly paying coaches to fix games, this is just a nightmare for the NFL. And I I feel bad for Calvin Ridley because, what, 10 years removed from Ray Rice, the elevator incident getting two games, and this guy gets a year it's just the NFL consistently not having consistency. And that's, I don't know, it's frustrating. And I do feel bad for him a little bit. I do too, Wally. You know, with how much gambling has taken over the NFL, really, I, I can't believe they landed on a on a full year suspension. I did see a tweet that said um, the, the biggest loss in sports history, sports gambling history or something like that. Because apparently Calvin Ridley said that he only bet fifteen hundred bucks, so the tweet was he bet fifteen hundred bucks to lose ten million. What a loss, or something like that. Because I would assume his salary is right around ten million dollars. Very interesting situation, and I couldn't agree with more with you uh, about the NFL. It's ridiculous their slap on the wrist penalties versus their you know year long suspensions and uh, stuff like that. So. Uh, Just another frustrating, I guess, aspect of the NFL right now. Yeah, and we're kind of used to the frustration with the NFL and how they handle things. But that's really enough for that right now. We have too many fun things to talk about today, and that being the Big Ten tournament starting. And this week... Listen to Loss of Downs podcast if you want to hear (laughs) I love the plug. I appreciate you. I appreciate you a lot, actually. And I actually was getting ready to jump into the Big Ten tournament. What I should have done first, 
I know it's going to be quick. It's that time of year. But do you have any kind of an update for us on the recruiting corner? Uh, yeah, well, the only one commit within the last, what, four days that we've done Casey's recruiting corner, Northwestern landed an interior offensive lineman by the name of Anthony Bursa. Bursa? He's out of Illinois, so hometown kid. He's number 743 overall. Solid three-star. But, yeah, no other commits within the past three or four days in, in football or basketball. So that'll that'll wrap us up in that. Genuinely, my favorite part about the recruiting corner that we've done this year is the fact that maybe 25% of the names we actually are 100% confident on. And the rest, it's always like, uh, Burser? Bursa? Uh Eh, he's from Illinois. It'll work out. Yeah, B I R S A. This time, I, I, you can take your best guess at it. I yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm rolling with yours. Either one of them, but hey, that's fine. We'll probably take a break from recruiting corner during the NCAA tournament, so we can really dive deep into those games. But if we have some really big commits, we'll make sure that we bring those up too. Otherwise, we'll be back with the recruiting corner back to normal. I guess right after the tournament. But instead of going like we have all year with the basketball games, we're going to read off the schedule last week, read off the schedule next week. You guys know it's this time of year. We're going to talk about the games that really matter right now, and pretty much exclusively those. If your team's not really in the mix, we'll get back to you guys next year. I don't know what to tell you. But all right, cool. We'll start with this, with the fact that Wisconsin, we had decided, it was decided on this show that they were Big Ten champions. They weren't going to lose to Nebraska. Even if by some miracle they did, Iowa and Illinois was far from a foregone conclusion. Wisconsin loses to Nebraska, but that's not even the craziest part. They lose to Nebraska without Bryce McGowan's, the best player, the guy that we had been talking about potentially being a one-and-done. So all of a sudden, the Nebraska team that two weeks ago was one-and-whatever in conference has won three straight conference games including two straight against ranked opponents for the first time in program history. I don't even know what to say about it, man. Yeah, and if our um, our little graphic here is correct, that got them out of last place. And so they avoid playing Penn State. Well, Penn State or Northwestern. I know you've been high on Northwestern a little bit. That's literally the game from hell for me. It was built up to just torment me. Yeah, um... But, you know, good for Nebraska. They're, they're kind of on a roll right now. They avoid finishing in last place in the regular season, which is just incredible. Um, still to me that Minnesota, who did finish last, beat Michigan earlier on in the year. But, yeah, um, so on this, on this game real quick, Johnny Davis did get hurt for uh, Wisconsin, too. And, obviously, that's a player of the year candidate. He was four for four from the field with ten points in the first 11 minutes before he got – injured by a, a flagrant foul by Trey McGowan's actually. So take that into consideration when you, you know, think about this Wisconsin home loss to lose the outright Big Ten champion. So I I don't really unless Johnny Davis is out for a long time, I'm not really panicking yet if if I'm Wisconsin. And that's the good news for Wisconsin is that it sounds like his injury is not going to go any further. He should be good after their double bye. It's just, this is really crazy because Illinois, obviously, they're the other side of this. Is they took advantage of their job in a very different kind of game where Wisconsin was actually up 10 points in their second half at home against Nebraska. Illinois was actually trailing 15 points to Iowa and was able to come back and win that game. And what it did, which to me I thought was really important, is that now Illinois is on the opposite side of Purdue. And Wisconsin now is stuck with that matchup, potentially in the semifinal. To, that is the reason now I would have gone from saying Wisconsin had a realistic chance to win the Big Ten to now it feels like it might be a Purdue-Illinois slugfest kind of coming at each other now. Is that kind of where you're at too? Yeah, I would agree with that, Wally. I think that the bottom half of that bracket is brutal even as Michigan State is sitting there as a seventh seed you know I know that they didn't play well down the stretch but that's you know you never want to face a Tom Izzo team in March in my opinion so that's a very scary seventh seed obviously Ohio State is very hit or miss so they could get bounced out by Penn State or or win the darn thing really with how they played throughout this year and I'm really excited of how this bracket is 
is shaping up. I'm sure we'll get into it later, but um, this Iowa team is is somebody for for me to keep an eye on to win the whole thing. And this will be a good way to kind of like bridge the couple topics here, but it's kind of crazy, or at least the way I'm looking at the bracket right now. And for people at home, if you literally go to the Big Ten website, they have a really cool graphic right there, and it kind of maps out how this is going to go about. Meanwhile, Casey's looking around his house like there's a ghost on his ceiling. Don't know what's going on. What's going on over there? Well, I I know that we've had some cracks in our like ceiling, but I feel like these are way worse than what they have been before. So I don't I don't know if that's going to be an issue that we need to get resolved here shortly. I mean, it doesn't. It's not funny. I feel bad, but I was just curious because I I was just looking over and there's a guy just. Yeah, frantically sure. staring at the ceiling. I'm sure that did look really weird. <laughs> yeah, it was. I couldn't keep going with the game until I addressed that. So, uh, anyways, I'll get back now. When you look at the bracket for the Big Ten, I think that Purdue actually has the easiest path of the top four double by teams. Where Illinois is going to have to play the winner of Indiana, Michigan. Indiana especially will be playing for something if they get there. But Michigan's going to be trying to improve their seeding too. And, I mean, that's going to be a difficult matchup. Then Wisconsin, Michigan State matches up really well with them. They split in the regular season, so they're going to be desperately rooting for Maryland, who is a team that we've seen at times this year look like what we expected them to, whether that, you know, be kind of a a bubblish team in their own right, and that just never came to fruition with Fats Russell. And who's the other guy there? Who, who am I spacing? There's another one, isn't there? For Maryland? Yeah. Eric Ayala? Eric Ayala. You're a man, Casey. It's one of those days right now. It, it's one of those days right now. <sighs> All right. That's me. I'm compressed. I'm back. Then you're going to have Rutgers, who's likely going to face Iowa. And if it's not Iowa, it would be Nebraska, you'd imagine, because it won't be Northwestern. And if Nebraska is there at that point, we have to truly be like, hey, this is not a team you want to play at this moment. It would be five straight wins, including three wins against ranked opponents. That would be tough. And then, of course, Purdue, very likely going to have Ohio State, and if not Ohio State, Penn State. That's the best draw out of any of these. And then to have Wisconsin right after when they really don't have the big to match up, I'm, I think I'm going to say Purdue's going to win this tournament right now. Yeah. Man, that's that's difficult because I do think that the the four teams of Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Ohio State are overall better than the top four teams in the uh, in the top half of the bracket. That being Illinois, Rutgers, Iowa, and Michigan. But I, man, that's that's such a good. You went into pretty darn good detail there, Wally. I I think I'm going to take Purdue to also win the Big Ten Championship. I don't know if we were going to spoil our picks right there or not, but overall, still the most complete team that I've seen in the Big Ten this year. No, this is kind of the fun part about it just being you and me, is that it's just kind of all over the place where I'm jumping from top to bottom of this rundown. That was in like one of the later parts. I just couldn't help myself looking as we were talking about it, which I want to ask you what you want to actually talk about here. A couple things. Would you prefer go into the bubble real quick, or do you want to talk about the Ohio State-Michigan game before that? Um, we can hop in on the bubble real quick, if you're good with that. Sweet. We'll do bubble first. So, obviously, Purdue squeaked by Indiana this weekend, and I mean squeaked by. We really – we don't – I don't feel like drill things perfectly a ton on this show, but we drilled that. We knew that was going to be a last possession game. We thought Purdue would come out just a little bit too good for Indiana. But the only problem is, is now it really puts Indiana in a tough spot. Lenardi has them as their like the first team out right now. And the way conference championships can go, that could be even further down the podium for them. They're going to have to beat Michigan. And there's a very real possibility they're going to have to beat Illinois too to get in. You know, it's really unfortunate because I truly do think that Indiana's a really, a really a pretty darn good team. They, they've got some size. Their guards are decent, not not too great, but they have some really good wins this year. They beat Ohio State. They beat Purdue. And, you know, outside of the Northwestern loss, there's not very many on the schedule that you look at and it, like, jumps out to you. So 
you know, I kind of feel bad for Indiana, but I believe really whoever wins that Michigan-Indiana game uh, should submit their ticket to the big dance. However, if it is Michigan that wins the game, I do think that Indiana will be out based off of everything that we've seen projection-wise for this team. What sucks for Indiana, and I hate to keep saying this and throwing salt in the wound, but three of their last four, or it might even be their last three games, they have had leads in the second half and late in the second half, and they have lost each of those games. At Ohio State, that one kills you. You're up four with less than a minute left. You have to win that game. If you do, we're not even talking about this right now. You follow that up with the Rutgers loss at home, where they're again up, I want to say six or seven points with like five minutes left, and implode again. And then I know it's tough when you go to Purdue. It's an arch rival, but it's a game that you know you have to win. And they fell short. And now it just makes it really hard because Michigan's playing well. They're starting to click. And that's not the time you want Indiana to play them right now. I don't think they're going to make it. I don't think that they're going to beat Michigan. I know that we're, again, jumping all over the place. But I don't think they're going to be able to beat Michigan, which means they're out. And then staying on the bubble, if Rutgers finds a way to lose, even though they're in the double buy spot, I think they're far from a guarantee, too. Quick question, Wally. Have you seen any of the projections of where Rutgers is right now? Because last last time I saw, they weren't even on the bubble or anything. I didn't know um, if you saw something new or something got updated. Amazingly, before the Indiana game, DeCourcy, the Fox Big Ten projection, had them as first four out. I don't know where Lenardi had them at that point. But Lenardi, as of this morning, this is... Where it's Monday night right now, but as of Monday morning, he had them as I think the third like team in, I guess. I don't know how to say it. in the last four. I, should, I probably should have just said it clear like that, but they're in the last four in. Yeah, wow. Uh you know, that's crazy. And you know, maybe we're just a little bit biased because, you know, we're we're Big Ten podcasts rooting for all oh, most of the Big Ten teams, but it just felt like Rutgers had such great momentum. And, and really, they did. I mean, they beat Purdue. They beat Michigan State when they were a top 15 team. They beat Ohio State when they were a top 16 team. They beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin, I might add. It just seems like if this team's a bubble team because of their early losses to Lafayette, DePaul, and UMass, then, man, I, I feel – like they're getting snubbed because this team is dangerous. We've seen them be very dangerous throughout the whole year. So I I didn't realize that they were on such thin ice with, with getting in the tournament. That's just kind of su- surprising to me. Yeah, well, part of it to me, at least, I know the early season like troubles, but then you even have like situations where their final game of the year on Sunday, knowing how close they are, you host Penn State. And it's a team that's just such an anomaly this year. It's almost like you're a Steelers fan. You know how the Steelers, there's that talk about Mike Tomlin's always good for that one game a year where you lose to an inferior team, but then they're always, it seems like, playing up to the level of their competition. That's kind of what Rutgers has done all year, where they make games close. Whether that be against the Illinois, the Purdue's, the Wisconsin's, that's one thing, but doing that for Lafayette, doing that for DePaul, and doing it for Penn State. I mean, I don't know if you got a chance to see the last 20 seconds in the Penn State game. This is a team that was up by 15 with 12 minutes left. And then, on top of that, we're up four with 15 seconds left in the game, give up a three, and then turn it over just for Penn State to have a crack at the win. Had that happened... I mean, that has to at least be, you'd imagine it's probably a quad four loss. So if they were in the last four in, they would be another team like Indiana that would not only need probably one win, they might need two in the tournament. Yep, basketball just like football, game of inches, man. All right, well then let's get into what you want to talk about and I guess what I don't want to talk about, and that being Ohio State, Ohio Stating again. And Michigan down seven and a half, going to Columbus, getting a win, just thoroughly outplaying the Buckeyes in the second half. Phil Martelli did a very good job stepping in for Jawan Howard, who is now fully back. 
Got to imagine you're at least pretty excited at this point, considering where you guys were three weeks ago. Yeah, I would say. I'm a little bit happier than where I was three weeks ago, although I think I would have predicted that maybe they would have done a little better. But I don't know, man. It's so tough because Michigan's really riding high off of that win against Ohio State. Without your best player, and and by the way, that line jumped from, I believe it was three and a half to six with within 15 minutes of that news coming out. I had not heard anything, and it was it came on the screen, and it completely surprised Hayden and I. We were watching that game together. And so I, I thought Ohio State was going to win. I thought they were going to roll. With how they came out shooting, um, you know, I didn't think Michigan had the guys to score. And, I mean, really outside of Devontae Jones, Eli Brooks, and Terrence Williams, they didn't. Diabate came on a little bit at the end, running some pick and roll with uh, Devontae Jones. But um, I, I've got a bash on my dude, Caleb, Caleb Houston, dude. He is, he is not good. He is going to come back next year because his draft stock has just plummeted. The dude goes over 10. And I I could have sw- I I thought he made a shot at, at the beginning of the game, but I was wrong. I think he got blocked on a on a transition layup. The dude just how do we say he he just ain't it. Is how is how I usually say it. He ain't it. And he ain't it. But also someone who wasn't it that game was EJ Liddell. That guy played 36 minutes and only took 10 shots. I know he got nine free throws out of his, you know, what were some touchy foul calls in my opinion, but whatever. Um, but how, how does how does your best player only get 10 shots? And you're, and you're letting Justin Arnn shoot it nine times and they're feeding Joey. I know Joey Brunk had another good game, whatever. But How funny is that, by the way, that as soon as we mentioned him last week, now all of a sudden he comes out of the woodwork and he's going to start playing? Yeah, I know. It, <laughs> and really, that was like we – if people listened to our podcast right when it came out on Friday morning, they probably thought we were idiots because we were completely – I thought wrong. I was an idiot. Yeah, we were completely wrong about, um, you know, Ohio State. They just beat a, a decent Michigan State team. Michigan was looking good, and then they lose to Iowa. They get blown out on senior night. Um, that was just really funny. And then Joey Brunk has a game of his life. I just thought it was really funny. But anyway, there there were some times where Ohio State was playing through him, and he got a few of those shots to go down. And, man, was it ugly. And if Hunter Dickinson was playing that – that was not going in, you don't think. So, yeah, you know, some coaching decisions by Chris Holtman that were, you know, some head scratchers. They had Justin Arms in for a lot longer than what I thought they should have. And, you know, he took nine shots. And then playing through the post with Joey Bronk rather than EJ Liddell in some certain situations was a head scratcher. But, you know, en- enough of me talking, Wally. I want to hear what your thoughts were on the game. Michigan and Ohio State both have kind of interesting, I guess, rooting interests with Malachi Branham and Caleb Houston now, where like, I understand that he's been disappointing this year, Caleb Houston, that is. He has all of the intangibles. He has the frame. If he has a, a full offseason now, he now has the speed. If he works really hard, I think that he really can come back and take the steps to be the player that we thought he was going to be, it's just not right now. And I think that you're going to have Juwan Howard even tell him that, dude, if you're not physically and mentally ready for the college game, you're not going to be ready at the next level yet. You need to give us more time. And I think that you can say a lot of the same for Malachi Branham, where another year can really do him a lot of good. And and that's part of the thing with the EJ Liddell not getting enough touches or enough shots there at the end of the game, or I guess throughout the game, is it, it, it feels like we're trying to be too cute right now and almost trying to find that scoring that just isn't there when sometimes you just have to take your lunch pail and go and understand who you are and get wins. I hate to keep knocking on Chris Holtman because I think he's an awesome guy. I even think he's a good coach. I just think that he is, I don't know, I won't say lost the team because that makes it sound like the players aren't playing for him. What... I would say is right now there is something deeply ingrained in these guys' heads in the second half of close games that they don't believe they can get it done, and it is 
directly affected on the on the court where late in games outside of Arns, ironically enough, hitting a couple threes there to keep that game kind of close until the final whistle. It didn't feel like you had that, I guess, confidence on the Ohio State offensive end. And just really frustrated the way this season started. I think that East Lansing and Michigan State fans probably feel very similarly where the top, I think we can all agree, the top nine teams in the Big Ten have separated themselves from the bottom five. But Ohio State and Michigan State, to me, the way they're playing right now, you can make a case that they're the eighth and ninth best team in this conference, and they just kind of, not kind of, they did maximize on their early season success to get where they're at. And I can tell you right now, I would not be shocked if either or both of Michigan State and Ohio State lose to Maryland and Penn State in the Big Ten tournament, and I wouldn't be shocked if either or both have an early exit in the NCAA tournament next week. Yeah, well, I, I can't disagree with you, really, with anything that you said. Um, I can understand where you're coming from with this, you know, Holtman curse is what it seems like with, with Ohio State in close games, more specifically second-half close games, because it just, does, it just feels like I've probably for about three years now, I would say, that this team just blows late leads late in the game. And, and um, not that they had a late lead against Michigan, but, you know, they did have a seven-point halftime lead and came out and took a crap in, this, in the beginning of the second half. I believe Michigan got off to a 26-7 start in the second half, which is just absolutely incredible for a senior night rivalry game. Last, last home game of the year, just completely unacceptable for Ohio State, the way they came out the second half. People that don't watch sports or don't care enough about sports, I don't think understand how much of a all-around human game sports can be, especially, I guess, basketball, where it's so mental, where players are people like us. Even when you're playing in your backyard, you're playing in your driveway, when you were growing up, when you were nervous about taking the final shot, when you thought you were going to miss the final shot or you didn't want the ball in those situations, you were more likely to miss. And people that haven't played sports, I don't feel like truly understand that because right now that's how it looks like with this Ohio State team where it's almost a someone's got to make a play. I just hope it ain't me. That is where I think that there's a cultural problem with this program right now. I don't really know how you fix it without having a coaching change or it would take kind of a a, a run to, I guess, overtake all of this mental gumbo that is in their head. It's going to take going to an Elite Eight, to a a Final Four to almost say, all right, we put it to bed, let's just go play basketball because right now they're way in their head. Do you think this team has the capability of making that sort of run? Absolutely not. This season's over. I like. I am. I I don't know how. First of all, it would happen. The like, who? I mean, it would take a perfect path. Like right now, Joe Lenardi has Ohio State matched up with Memphis in the first round. That's a recipe from hell. I I, I just. I'm. T- I just. I've seen this movie before. Yet I'm still front row in the theater, and I disgust myself every time. Yeah, first off, uh, Memphis would be an absolutely terrible matchup. That was a top 15 team coming into the year. Just had a bunch of injury problems, and um, I think they're starting to get healthy. They just beat Houston this past weekend. So um, if you're an Ohio State fan— Beat the hell out of Houston, too. They were up like 15 in the second half. Yeah, if you're an Ohio State fan, that is not who you would like to see in uh, the round of 64— but yeah, so I was listening to some guys on the radio today and they were like, you know, with how they've closed out the regular season, what what is the what is the expectation for this Ohio State team? And they were really brutally honest and they said, you know, to be honest with you, win one game in the tournament and like that's success because where they're predicted to be a seed now, like you said, a 6 seed, 6 7 8 seed. I mean, Beating an 11, 10, or 9 is not exactly the easiest thing to do, and you don't really assume that they're going to beat one of the top teams in the country. So I think realistically their expectation is to win a game in the tournament. 
Okay, well, in this scenario, I'm, I'm going to paint a picture for you. You know how we're prisoners of the moment as sports fans. If Ohio State beats Penn State and then loses to Purdue, and they're at a sixth seed, which right now it looks like unless they lose to Penn State, that's very possibly where they're going to be. If they then beat the 11 that they match up with and have a fortunate three, like let's say they play Providence and they beat Providence. Ohio State would get that kind of matchup too. My goodness. (laughs) Shut up. Play Providence. Shut up. Anyways, in that scenario, you're going to have a lot of people think that we almost got over the hump or that, hey, you know what? This is a good building block. Let's come back, run it back next year. I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm at the point, it's going to take a Herculean effort for me to come off my stance because I just think that we need to go in a new direction. And again, Holman's a good coach. I'm not sitting here. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, dog shit coach. This guy's terrible. No, I just don't think that he's the right guy at this point anymore. Do you want to now, I guess, actually, you know what? I've got a couple other questions. I know that we both have Purdue. And I should point out that Hayden also has Purdue to win the Big Ten tournament. He texted me that earlier. But two quick questions oh, for that's you. that's no fun then. I want to pick somebody else. <laughs> that's fine. You can pick Nebraska like me. I'm going to take Iowa, actually. Kind of a more realistic. Because Iowa, Iowa can score some points. And although they just lost to Illinois, it was a close game. And I think that they will be able to get it done if if they face each other in the uh, semifinals. So I'm going to go with Iowa now, just to be different. Honestly, it's not a bad pick, though. The way they've played this last two months, it felt like the entire, I guess, the AP and everybody else that like evaluated this team was about a month late to the party and understanding how good they are. And that's the same with me. I thought it was kind of the same team as last year without Groza, though where you're going to score a million points in, or Garza, I said Groza, sorry, I'm an idiot. This is this is Wally being Wally. But anyways, I thought that that was kind of the same thing, where they were going to score 95 points a game. The only problem is, sometimes they're going to give up 96. And this year, they're, they're far from a very good defensive team, but they're better. And they were in a position, crazy enough for Wisconsin, They and they probably deserved it coming off of the bank shot against Illinois to win. The, or whoever it was, uh, who was that? It was Illinois, right? It was Purdue. It was Purdue. God, I am great minute, Wally. You're doing great. Have a podcast. But in that game against Purdue, they had to bank in three, but then they followed up here, had a chance to win against Nebraska, wide open three, it misses. And then in the Iowa game, you have Keegan Murray's brother. Chris Murray had a wide open shot in the corner and he just missed it. Crazy how those little things, they can throw an entire wrench in this entire season now. Matchups are different in the Big Ten. And Wisconsin has to be co-champions as well. This all long-winded me rambling here started with me having two questions for you real quick, Casey. Who's going to surprise people this week? And I guess you already answered that with Iowa. And Indiana and Rutgers. One, both, or neither making the tournament. Well, I'll answer your first question since I already kind of did. I'm going to say Iowa surprises us this week, and I kind of laid out why. I think that they'll get by Rutgers and Nebraska. I'm going to predict that Nebraska beats Northwestern. So I think I like Iowa's path to the semifinals, and I think that they get over the hump either beating Michigan or Illinois, which leads me into your second question here. I do not think that Indiana gets in because I think that they will lose to Michigan in the, uh, what is that, For just the first round, that's not even the quarterfinals, is it? No, um, quarterfinals is the double buys. Yeah, so I think Indiana loses to Michigan. I do think Rutgers loses to Iowa, which would be their first game, but I still think that they get in. They, I saw that Joe Lenardi had them as a 12 seed, which that would be a very, very dangerous 12 seed, I would, I would think. So I would still think that Rutgers gets in and Indiana does not, which means Michigan with, even though I think that they're going to be firmly in with the win against Indiana, puts them no, no doubt that they're in. I had Iowa as well being the threat. The only thing to be a potential screw up there would be Nebraska being it's a rival team and the way they're playing right now, it could be a recipe for something weird. I don't think it happens. 
and I'm not going to go into too much detail on Rutgers in Indiana because I completely agree with what you just said, but I, I wanted to just ask a, a generic question for you. If Rutgers is one of the last four in and they have to play that play-in game, I've almost had this belief since this has started for like non-16 matchups as well. Doesn't it feel like a little bit of an advantage for these teams or the winner of those games? Because you get the nerves out of the way. You're already in the tournament. And if Rutgers, you'd imagine, wins that game, I mean, that's the worst 12 seed I can ever remember being matched up with a five. Yeah, I was talking to Hayden about that um, on on Sunday, I believe, when we were talking about where Ohio State's going to be at seeding-wise. And I told him that you need to avoid the six seed that has the 11 versus 11 playing game because you're exactly right, man. You get whoever wins that game is going to be a decent team. I believe UCLA was the... Yes, they were. Yeah, was the 11 seed and uh, they just caught, they just got hot. They had a bunch of momentum. And so that is not a team that you want to face. And if you are Rutgers and you're in a situation like that, Watch out, because we've seen this team can beat the best of the best in the country this year. It'll be something that we'd have to look up, but I'm pretty sure that since they've done the play-in, that every single year at least one of the teams has advanced, whether it be to the round of 32 or to Sweet 16, but it's far from unusual to see what UCLA did last year. I want to say it's happened two other times where teams have made the Elite Eight. I think UCLA made it the farthest. It feels like an obvious advantage now. We've seen this enough where that, I guess, getting that under your belt kind of eases nerves and just kind of helps you settle in. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of like the way that they've done the 11 seed playing games because it's typically a team that underachieved for the most part or has a talent but didn't really earn their way into the tournament so they make them play this playing game or whatever and yeah you get teams like UCLA and the the other few that we can't really think of right now but we know it happened you know I, I think it's an awesome opportunity for talented teams to to make a splash in the tournament last thing basketball wise before we get into a couple other topics here Sporting News announced their All-American team, I think earlier today. It was either earlier today or last night. Big Ten, well-represented. If we are the best conference in America, eventually we're going to have to win national titles to prove it. But the players in this conference right now, there's no denying the skill. You had three first-team All-Americans here. Johnny Davis, Keegan Murray, Kofi Coburn, all very well-deserved. And then we had both a second and a third team All-American too with Jaden Ivey and then EJ Liddell. I know it's hard when you're you're talking about 14, 15 guys, whatever. Did you feel like there were any snubs? Because I thought they got this pretty right. Five Big Ten guys on the first three teams. Feels like a hell of an achievement for the conference. Yeah, you know, being a little biased here, I'm going to say that Hunter Dickinson was was a snub. I think him and EJ Liddell were very comparable and obviously their team records were sort of comparable and their improvement and their impact on the teams were absolutely well coming off of Hunter Dickinson not playing and the game against Ohio State and them still winning isn't really making a case for me right now but um, Hunter Dickinson's impact for Michigan this year has been tremendous they would not be where they're at without him and I it you know you could easily say the same thing about EJ Liddell so really if they would have thrown Dickinson on the third team as well I wouldn't have been able to argue with you and then guys like Trace Jackson Davis had Indiana closed out the year a little bit better I mean they were 16 and 6 at one point so you would think might have been able to sneak in on 13 but as you know with how the season ended I can't really argue with any of the uh, all-american players that we had in the Big Ten this year I got nothing to add there so let's jump into a couple other topics here for the day I got one I wanted to bring up and that's being the rule changes in football that are coming up this next year or at least potential rule changes they're still going through the I guess discussion process figuring out whether or not they're smart or not I'm going to read these rule ideas and just give me your thoughts as soon as you're done here first one obviously the targeting rule we have been kind of clamoring for years for this change 
Problem is, this just feels like kind of a toe-in-the-water change opposed to a, a full-on fix. They're thinking about adding a, a potential appeal process for targetings that happen in the second half of games. So this wouldn't actually change anything in the game you're watching at that moment. What it would be is that you could potentially have that first half suspension lifted for the following game if they decide that it was wrongfully called on the field. Only issue with that is it still doesn't include intent at that point. I feel like we've got to get there eventually. The NFL sliding rules for quarterbacks, or I guess anybody that's going to give themselves up, you were down where you were starting your slide. I think that's a good one. And then this one, this is one that always trips me up when it's called and I don't catch it. But defensive holding is still going to be a 10-yard penalty, but it's always going to result in a first down now. Whereas before, if it was 3rd and 12 and you had a defensive holding, it would go to 3rd and 2. Kind of crazy, but that still is a rule at this point. Casey, what are your thoughts after hearing these things right now? Wow, that was a lot. I mean, some big-time changes there. First off, I didn't know that college football was still... Defensive holding was not an automatic first down. So I I like that rule, and I can't believe that I haven't argued that they need to change that rule before. So uh, that's, that's awesome. I like that change. Uh, the targeted rule, I think, uh, like you said, a baby step in the right direction. I think that if you, you know, unintentionally target somebody the first play of the second half, you absolutely do not deserve to miss the second half of that game and the first half of the, of the next. But it really varies by case for me with the targeting rule. There are some instances where I do think the player deserves to be, you know, miss the fourth quarter and the first half of the next game. I know you you and Hayden are kind of on the opposite way of thinking uh, with with that rule but i i personally like to take it case by case and you know this appeal process to me will kind of be doing that as well hope hopefully i guess but finally the the nfl sliding rules i don't like this rule my reasoning behind it is we're trying to keep all these players safe right that's the goal what i think you're going to start seeing instead are more quarterbacks or people giving themselves up and diving head first, which will still lead to defenders being able to hit them with contact, and you're gonna, and that's uh, an easy head or neck injury or or shoulder injury. Someone landing on the shoulder because these kids are gonna fight, you know, for extra yardage when it when especially when they're in the in college playing for the school that they chose to play for rather. The NFL, where it's you know more of like a job and a career that you're you're building and such. So this NFL sliding rule, I don't like it, and I don't think that the intent of uh, because I mean basically you're giving up two or three yards if you're going to slide, you know, feet first. So I, in my opinion, I think you're going to see more guys start sliding or diving head first, which could cause more issues with with head injuries and neck injuries and you know, some shoulder injuries if you get hit. And then going back to the targeting rule, that's, you know, if you get guys diving head first, that's how else are you going to tackle dude without hitting his head or neck area? So just not really in love with that rule, but I understand their intent. I agree with your reasoning, but I disagree with the, I guess, what will actually happen. There's a lot of people that aren't like us. Where when you watch, like one thing that sticks out to me is the Donovan McNabb tie quote from back in the day where he goes, hey, I didn't even know that there were NFL ties. Like imagine if that happens in a playoff game or the Super Bowl. And we laughed about it because it sounds so ridiculous to us who know there are no ties in, in the postseason. But there are a lot of players that don't know simple rules. I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks that are going to just slide and almost be surprised when they see this spot. I think if anything, you're going to see quarterbacks slide on like a fourth and four trying to scramble and be short and then be upset with the results after being opposed to diving head first because they know the rule. Yeah, this is going to be a rule that quarterbacks and head coaches are going to, if they don't know about it now, they're going to learn quick because they're going to think that they have a first down, but they're going to spot it three yards back. And um, 
you know, really think they got screwed. So this is going to be a rule that a lot of coaches and players are going to find out uh, quickly. And you know how it is too. Every time there's a new rule, it'll be something that in August it'll happen. It'll happen the first week of the year because of the new rule change. And otherwise it wouldn't happen for 10 years. It's just the way these things work. I, I agree with you though. I do think it'll be a point of emphasis. Just be, well, first of all, your quarterback's supposed to be your smartest guy on the field. He's supposed to be a coach on the field. I would hope that a lot of the high quality guys will take this into account. But when you're in the heat of moment, it's just sometimes instincts take over. And when you've known a rule for your entire life and all of a sudden it's changed, that's the only thing for me is whether or not it'll actually happen. But we'll find out, I guess, here. Maybe even in spring games. Hopefully you have the refs really calling that tight. Maybe that helps out too. Well, yeah, but let's say, you know, as as a Ohio State fan here, w- would you rather – CJ Stroud slide short and bring up fourth down or turnover on downs, or would you rather see him dive head first to try to get the first? Well, obviously it, it it changes on the situation. If it's the first quarter against Miami of Ohio, yeah, I want him to slide. If it's the fourth quarter of a playoff game, yeah, I want the guy diving head first. So it really is case by case for me on that. No, I, I get you, but I think that if you – I don't know. I feel like it's tough to, you know, try to rep a guy go, you know, sliding, 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 and then all of a sudden you want him to dive head first in, a, in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, you know. So I think it'll be it'll be interesting, in my opinion, to see how different coaches approach it. There might be guys that tell a guy to just try to get out of bounds as soon as you can, or dive head first. You know, from a Michigan perspective, I can almost promise you that whether it's Cade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy, they're going to be going head first to, to get the yards. So it'll be interesting to, to see. that. I appreciate you bringing up these rule changes because they're really going to be massive. Yeah, and, and they haven't actually been official yet. They're in discussion, but the way they're talking at this time of year, it sounds like these three are the most likely to go forward. And of them, I, I don't, I guess, hate any of them. There's maybe tweaks I'd want to make. But especially the targeting rule, it is a step in the right direction. And hopefully we fix it sooner rather than later. That is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. Brought to you by Tabbies.com, the world's best Delta edible. Casey and I will be back to talk Big Ten tournament early next week. And even more importantly, we get to look ahead at the big dance. Talking brackets. Exciting times, my guy. Do you have any final thoughts before we go home? All my only final thoughts are, uh, you know, everybody take off work Wednesday through Friday and watch all the Big Ten basketball games that you can. That's what I wish I could do. I'm not going to do that. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the the Big Ten tournament this week. I think we have awesome matchups and uh, really, like we talked about throughout the podcast, a lot of teams that we think could, could win it. Really looking forward to that. My final thought, and first of all, I'm giving myself a little soft golf clap because I've been, you know how bad I am with names and mixing them up. You actually got to hear it on this show, me screwing up a couple names. But Jordan Davis and me not saying Johnny Davis, really proud of myself. The NFL Combine. When you look at a poodle and a Great Dane, you know they're both dogs, but you know how different they are. If I stood next to Jordan Davis and had to do the Combine grades, I look like a pug that an 80-year-old woman has that doesn't exercise, yet Jordan Davis is this, like, St. Bernard. I mean, the guy is 6'6", like 350, and he runs a sub-4, 840. He breaks the broad jump record. I kept, I do this every year with the draft, but I fall in love with guys purely on, on the uh, combine itself. It's hard not to love him. He is, like, an actual athlete, like... He's an athletic freak. I, I don't know how else to say it. He, You were not supposed to be that athletic at that size. That's all I have for you. Yeah, no, and going off of Jordan Davis, another teammate of his, Trayvon Walker, had an absolutely outstanding day, too. He ran a 4-5-1, and he's 6'5", 250 pounds, edge rusher. And we can tie this into Big Ten football here a little bit because we watched the, the Big Ten champion, Michigan, play against that Georgia team 
in the playoff and where was the most what am I trying to say? Or where, where was the biggest advantage that Georgia had was the offensive and defensive lines. And it really shows because Michigan's five-star defensive lineman, Chris Hinton, versus Jordan Davis, who I don't even think he was a five-star recruit. So five-star Chris Hinton went to Michigan for, I would assume, at least a four-star defensive lineman, Jordan Davis. Their development throughout their years at their respective schools was completely different. And I know, you know, raw athleticism has in part to do with that, but that's where not only Michigan, but other teams that have made the playoff in the big in the Big Ten have really been behind the eight ball uh when it comes to offense and defensive line freak athletes. You gotta give the SEC its flowers as much as it sucks, but you see it every time at the combine how these guys are developed down there, especially at these big schools. And that's where the Big Ten's going to have to get better. We talk about those two Georgia guys and how much of an impact they made on that game against Michigan, where they should have kept running the ball, at least tried. But it was probably going to end the same way. Alabama on the other side, Evan Neal, is built like almost like Tyrone Smith right now. And he's 21, 22. He's six seven or something. He's like mid three hundreds, and he looks cut up. He lost fifty pounds since he got to Bama. He took care of himself. That's just—it's something that they do down there, and I don't know what the answer is to fix it. But the way these guys get developed is something special, and it's—it truly is something worth watching. The combine, an empty gym of guys just running and jumping, and it's must-watch TV to me. But thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back here next week for episode 59 of Pigskins and Nylon. 